So today is the 15th anniversary uh, celebration uh, of our church, and it's interesting as you think about planting a church, it cannot be assumed that it will succeed. And in fact, I would, uh, I would, my, my experience has been that most church plants do not succeed. Uh, we have uh, today in the ARP, the church plant in Greenville is going to be uh, particularized. It's going to be officially on its own this afternoon. And that's one of the first successes we have had in a decade in terms of planting the church uh, and our own prep, uh, presbytery. Uh, and as I was pondering about the, the, what happened and how we got started and uh, our desires as a church and the, the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties and, uh, and the, the many struggles that we've had that brought us to this point, I was thinking about uh, the settling of America and, I, uh, and the contrast between the two first colonies uh, in our great nation. Jamestown was uh, founded actually almost 400 years to the day, or 400 years almost to the day uh, of, uh, of the founding of our church, and it was founded by a bunch of entrepreneurs. You had fortune seekers, all male, uh, coming to establish the first permanent colony, uh, colony in 1607. Uh, they came in three ships, the Susan Constance, the Godspeed, and the Discovery, uh, and they really struggled. Within a couple of years, probably 90% of the original people had died. They were about to close the entire colony, and then a second relief uh, of ships came in uh, to their rescue. Uh, but it failed in many, many ways because the folks were there uh, for men reasons, for a desire to, to get, gain wealth and, 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 and prosper and that kind of thing. It contrasts that with a few years later, the founding of Plymouth Colony. Plymouth Colony was, by and large, uh, established by uh, people who were uh, trying to leave religious persecution in Europe. Forty-one Puritan men signed the Mayflower Compact, a social contract, a, co a covenant within that community that sought to try to run the community based on uh, biblical truths. Both colonies struggled with famine, with disease, with potential uh, problems with, uh, with Native Americans. And yet Jamestown failed partly because it was just man-oriented. It was established for the glory of men. Plymouth eventually became absorbed in the whole Massachusetts Bay Colony and helped establish the state of Massachusetts. The, the, the motto of the state of Massachusetts is come and help from the Macedonian call that was given to the Apostle Paul, seeing that they were there to help bring the gospel to the Native Americans of the Massachusetts Colony. One failed because it was basically man-centered. One succeeded because it was founded on the glory of God. And that is ever our desire of this church. The reason why this church started is because we wanted to have a church that would be consumed with the glory of God. You cannot achieve that if you do not have a holy commitment individually and as a church. So I thought that it might be best today to take a little bit of a break from our, uh, our journey through 2 Corinthians and go back to what was the original vision statement of our church. Uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And to be able to look at what does it mean to have a holy commitment so that, we can't, so that we'll have another 15 years and another 15 years and another 15 years and another 15 years after this. And that we will succeed, succeed when so many good churches even have failed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in faith, we turn to you, first of all, glorifying your name that uh, we can uh, establish uh, the fact that you have blessed us and encouraged us through these 15 years. 
And we thank you, God, for all the people that are in attendance today. And I pray, God, that this would be a memorable time, not just because of the celebration of the 15th anniversary of our church, but because of the Word of God and how much it means to us. Lord, we are pulled in so many directions. We are so tempted to compromise. We struggle with self-control. We struggle with anxiety and depression and distraction. There are so many times we want to look just like the world to avoid the persecution and the awkwardness of taking a stand uh, of light in this dark, dark age. But God, I pray that as we look at these two wonderful verses, this vision, in a sense, of the founding of our church, that it would make us all, uh, everything anew to us today and that we would be devoted to living our lives in a holy commitment to our Lord and Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please do turn to Romans chapter 12, and we are going to be looking at verses uh, 1 and 2. You're probably rather familiar uh, with this text. I will read the text in its entirety, and then we have four different sections uh, that we'll look at. I think you'll find it helpful if you look at your home group uh, helps insert uh, uh, as we look through this text. But uh, I want to read to you the text first of all. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. God says, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We'll look, first of all, at the reason in verses 1a, then the response in verse 1b, and then the requirement in verse 2a, and the result in verse 2b. First of all, the reason, Paul gives us, it starts off there, therefore, and of course, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So there's a great transition. This is the, the dividing line in the epistle of, of Paul, and he does this. He starts off with doctrine, and then he goes to duty. He starts off with the indicatives first, then the imperatives. And that's absolutely essential because if you get it turned around, you become a hard-nosed legalist. If, if Christianity is reduced to a list of do's and don'ts and you forget the, the, what, what it's all about, you will become a, a very dangerous Christian or a very sad Christian in many, many ways. So you've got to be able to focus upon what has Christ done for me? What has he done for me? Now, what are his expectations? So that's the great transition uh, right there. The, the Greek word charis is, the, is, the, the, uh, is used for the words grace and gratitude. So in a sense, what he's doing, he talks, spends the first 11 chapters talking to you about the grace that you're under as people who are saved by Jesus Christ. And then how that expression of gratitude towards that grace Ought to come about. He urges them. He says, I urge you, uh, brethren, here. That idea of urge is a paracleto, where we get the, 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 uh, one of the, uh, the thoughts about the Holy Spirit there as he comes alongside us there as a helper. So he's trying to help them by telling them what they need to do. Now, it's interesting. Obedience to commandments, duty, um, uh, uh, keeping the law, things like that seem like such a burden to people. But you're actually greatly helped in this life. If you live for the glory of God and walk in obedience towards him, the people who continually uh, lack a self-control and their houses are just in total chaos and they, they don't understand the priorities that we should live by, you know, it's just, it's just one disaster after another. But walking in, he is urging them to, to walk in obedience, to be transformed 
into the image of God here. So he's actually coming along as to help them. And notice this. The, 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 uh, the super Jew, the Apostle Paul, who literally was raised probably to hate Gentiles. He was, a, he was raised probably, as many Jews were, in a sense as a racist. Calls these Roman Gentiles brethren. Brethren. Paul the Jew calls the Gentiles brethren. That's sort of lost on us. Most of our, us are Gentiles. We probably don't have a lot of Jewish blood. It was radical back then. You mean we're in the same family? Absolutely. The family of God is made up of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We are brothers and sisters. If you have Christ, we are all in the same family. And that's an important thing to emphasize in a time when, when, uh, when diversity was frowned upon and when, uh, when people reveled in hating other people. And he noticed this. He starts off here that he's urging us by the mercies of God or according to the great mercies. Where do you find those mercies? Those mercies of God are in Romans chapter 1 through 11. If you will, if you will work with me here, I want to just very briefly walk us through some of the great mercies found in chapters 1 through 11. Because one of my big concerns is that you're going to start off trying to be a better person. You're going to come up, you're going to leave this sermon with 10 things I'm going to change this week. And then that will last until about 6.05 tonight, right? I mean, how many times have we been through this? But if you focus upon the mercies, the grace, this overwhelming sense of gratitude will, will empower you and the Holy Spirit will empower you uh, to be the kind of person that God would want you to be. So a survey of God's mercies in Romans chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 1, uh, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Not works, faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans chapter 2, there is no partiality with uh, God, all are under judgment, both Jew and Greek. Romans chapter 3, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. There is none righteous, not even one. And yet God, through Jesus Christ, displayed publicly as a propitiation for our sin, a satisfaction for our sin, so that he would be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ. Chapter 4, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he who believes in him is ju uh, him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So just like Abraham had faith in God and is credited as righteous, so we can too. Chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 6, as Christ was raised from, the, raised from the dead through the glory of God, so we too might be, walk in newness of life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? You ever feel that way? I'm so glad for Romans chapter 7. Because you look at all these ideals and all these wonderful things we want to do, and yet we still have this body of sin. We're still driven by its impulses. Well, guess what? You're in good company. So did the Apostle Paul, the most wonderful Christian that ever lived. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of death? Then he goes on. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Chapter 9, and he died in order to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In chapter 11, there is a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Wow. Grace, 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 grace. So by those mercies, we're supposed to do something. If you came to our Monday, Thursday service, we sang, I surveyed the wonderful cross, I mean, wondrous cross, and uh, Isaac Watts had this line, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. So let's look at what our response should be. We are to present our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Because of all those mercies, we are now to present our bodies. Now, this would have been shocking to a Greek-Roman audience. Uh, Because of dualism, they saw everything physical, earthly, material is evil, and everything spiritual is good. They literally thought the body is the tomb. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Your bodies are there for a purpose. Uh, and when Adam and Eve had, were given bodies, God said it was all good. Uh, there's nothing inherently evil uh, in, in creation. It's just that because of the fall, evil had entered in. But we are to present our bodies. That idea of presenting uh, is related to a presentation of a religious sacrifice. It implies action and total commitment. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just a matter of, of wishful thinking. You are to move all of your being towards presenting yourself to God. Romans 6, 11 says this, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members, your body parts of your body as sin, as in, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but you are under grace. Some of you need to hear that. Because when you're tempted, you're thinking, I've got to cave. I've got to fall. I've got to go ahead and just give in. What does God say? God says, sin will not master over you. In a sense, you have to give it permission to be able to do that. Now, you will. We don't preach perfection here at Christ Reformed Church. But there's a whole principle here. Our members, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our feet, our hands, our sexual organs, our mind, our appearance, and our emotions. We live in such an emotional-driven culture these days. Those emotions are also to be presented to God. As a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, This, again, is language from the sacrificial system where you would present an animal for sacrifice. But God no longer approves animal sacrifices. That was fulfilled on on, on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. The once for all sacrifice was accomplished. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. No more animal sacrifices And Jesus uh, was the ultimate sacrifice, but there is this principle here that the Christian is also to be a living sacrifice. You are, in a sense, it's like this. I mean, if there was an altar here, I'm not going to get up on the communion table. That's bad theology. There's an altar here. You wake up in the morning, 
And the first thing you do is you crawl up on that wall altar. And all of your waking moments, you're on that altar, no matter where you go, whether you go to class, whether you go to work, whether you're eating dinner, whether you go to the library, whether you go on a hike, you are on the altar. You are offering yourself a, as a constant sacrifice to God. You never get off the altar. And the interesting thing is, for the non-Christian, they would think, that's awful, that's terrible. For the Christian, is, that's nowhere, they know where, that's where real joy is. Living their life for the glory of God. Being consumed with the desire to please Him. And when you don't please Him, and you, there will be plenty of times when you don't, you, in a sense, if you hop off that altar, you get right back on. Because the sacrifice has been made. You're sort of a continuation of that, but it's been done. You are forgiven. You're forgiven sins, past, present, and future. So you're this living sacrifice you're to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. I buffet my body and make it my slave. You stop listening to us. We are to be driven by the Holy Spirit, not by our glands. The, the world doesn't really know in many ways what do holy people look like. There's so much compromise. And there's so much compromise in the church. If the Lord would give us 15 more years and 15 years more years and 15 more years after that, I would hope it would be because we are, as a people of God, offering ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, notice who's Paul writing to. He is writing to the church of Rome. He's not writing to the pastor of the church of Rome. He's not writing to the clergy. And, I, and that needs to be addressed because a lot of times people think, yeah, well, that's well and good for, 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 for clergy. You know, they, they really got to have a higher standard. But for me, there's the same standard. There's greater accountability for someone like me, but it's the same standard of righteousness. That idea of clergy lady system has done great harm in the church of Jesus Christ. When you think God's talking to somebody else, the son of you, I can guarantee he's talking to you. We are all subject to this principle. This is a general idea because it is our spiritual service of worship. Now, here's where the New American Standard probably isn't the best translation. Uh, your translation might say it's a reasonable or rational service of worship because that word for spiritual is also where we get the word logic. There's this principle here where it just makes sense to worship God this way. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You were made for this. You were remade for this. In a sense, you were born for this, but you were actually born again for this. This is, this is your wheelhouse that we're talking about. Why do we find it so difficult? Well, I think part of it is we, because we lose the vision. That's why this was the vision statement for our church. Even, even, the, even the pagans get this. The Stoic philosopher uh, Epictetus said this, If I were a nightingale, I would do what is proper to a nightingale. If I were a swan, what is proper to a swan? In fact, I am a logikos, a rational human being, so I must praise God. It's really, it's funny because pe people will accuse you. If you're worshiping God, they'll, they'll accuse you of being stupid or what a flat earther or whatever it might be, you know, superstitious or whatever. Worshiping God, the God who created you, is the most logical thing you can possibly think of, that you can possibly devote yourself to. It's our spiritual service, our logical service of, of worship. 
So the holy commitment must be total and complete and reasonable. I love this quote from Samuel Samuel, uh, Shoemaker. To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. I would just fill your time as much as possible with reading good books, listening to good Christian podcasts, good Christian fellowship during the week. Fill yourself up. Because the more and the deeper you know God, the more this will become natural to you. It's funny how sin just loses its shine in the glow of Jesus' face. But you got to remind yourself of it all the time. So then there's this requirement here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's two sides to this holy commitment. There's, first of all, a negative requirement. Do not be conformed to this world. That idea of conformed is to be pressed into a mold. You are not to be pressed into the the mold of this world. This church is not to be pressed into the mold of this, of this world. World there is not the creation world, but of an age of a world system that's run by demons and wicked people. That's what it means when it talks about uh, the world system. Galatians 1, 4, God, uh, Jesus gave himself for our sins that we might, he might deliver us out of this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And of course, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know what that means? It's not like if you love your puppy, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, right? It's the system of the world. It's the values of the world that we are supposed to run from not emulate, especially in the church. And there's this idea in so many churches these days that we can flirt with the stuff of the world and still be a church and attract a bunch of worldlings. It's like we used to, you know, in the old days, uh, raising a daughter, we said fleshly bait attracts fleshly men. Spiritual bait attracts spiritual men. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because you got the whole bait thing, which makes it weird. But, you know, you get the point, right? You know, if you're going to be uh, immodest and lewd, you're going to attract somebody who goes for that. But if you are going to be holy and reverent and chaste, you'll attract someone who's attracted to that. Well, same thing with the church. You know, if we go into the business of entertainment, we're going to uh, uh, attract people who want to be entertained, not people who want to be sanctified, not people who want to be more in the image of Christ. I was down in Florida a few years ago, and they have all these lizards down there everywhere. And this little lizard jumped from a leaf on a branch and immediately turned brown. That is not the way a Christian should be. No matter what the background is for the Christian, the Christian should always be a Christian and should always act like a Christian. And that will sometimes be unpopular. That will sometimes be unpopular. And we sometimes we don't pull it off very well either. We come off as judgmental and priggish and that kind of thing. But whatever we need to do, we do in love. And as we're talking about the 15th anniversary, you know, part of this is a celebration of the past, but also looking to the future. One of the things our church must do is avoid this 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 pull towards what is now known as wokeism. Used to be called politically correctness and whatever, but it's sort of picking up the the values of the culture and bringing them into the church in order to make it look like, you know, we're kind of part of the solution uh, from a worldly standpoint as well. 
you know, and there's, there's, there's basically four great pillars here of, uh, of, uh, of Christian churches that are trying to go down this wokeism route. And, and some of you have fled some of these churches. You've seen this happen. There's this, uh, there's this whole idea, this anti-white racism disguised uh, under social justice or critical race theory, where there's this idea that, it's, that you're going to defeat racism with racism. Uh, then there's this idea of that you're going to reject the traditional morality and promote sexual deviant lifestyles. This consuming interest in environmentalism, uh, where we're going to stop global warming and you've got to be part of all that. And then this intense hostility towards Christian religion because they see Christianity as patriarchal, intolerant, and oppressive. Vody Bauckham uh, wrote an excellent book called Fault Lines that addresses one of these. And Bodhi Bauckham has some credibility. First of all, he's, he's brilliant, has wonderful, uh, w- wonderful things to say. He's also black. You know, so he's got some instant credibility there. And, and, and he, he speaks out against all of these principles uh, in his book, Fault Lines. He said, I believe we are being duped by an ideology bent on our demise. This ideology has used our guilt and shame for America's past and our good and godly desire for reconciliation and justice as a means through which to introduce destructive heresies. And there's a lot, we should have some guilt and shame about America's past. I mean, I was thinking about, I, uh, I, I love Tony Evans. You know, Tony Evans is uh, First Baptist Dallas, maybe. Uh, I heard Tony Evans speak in Columbia years ago. And he gave this story when he was a student at, um, at Georgia Tech. He went to go visit First Baptist Atlanta and they turned him away because he was a black man. That is so shameful. Uh, I graduated from CIU in Columbia, Columbia International University. And uh, in the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s, they would admit a, a, a black student from Africa, but would not admit a black student from Columbia, South Carolina. I'm embarrassed of that. I'm sh- ashamed of that. But when you take it to the point where that, that embarrassment and shame causes you to, cr- to create a reverse race- racism against white people in order to make up for that, it's all wrong. This idea with the, the whole idea of, uh, of traditional morality. Uh, the church has shamefully treated homosexuals in the past and, uh, and has not listened to the struggles they've gone through. But we don't go compromise the word of God in order to sympathize. We listen, we love, we welcome, but we don't compromise the word of God. One reason why we're compromising the word on the guy is we've compromised heterosexual sex for so many years. We've just winked at cohabitation, for instance. So we've lost the moral authority to say no to homosexual uh, illicit sex. Environmentalism. Of all the people in the world that ought to be the biggest environmentalists are Christians. We understand this stewardship principle. But the solution is not socialism, right? We understand that. And then this idea that, that Christianity is patriarchal, intolerant, and oppressive is sometimes true. <laughs> and we're embarrassed by that. You know, that old, the, the old Victorian father whose word should not be challenged, you know, this kind of thing. That just, it created feminism. And now feminism is destroying femininity. So there's plenty of things for us to be ashamed of. But when that shame drives us to try to look just like the culture and be accepted by the values of the culture, we become a woke church. A woke church. 
This has happened before. Some of you have been around long enough to great the, the big movements that, that bring in together the churches. The churches necessarily split during the American Civil War because you couldn't very well go to a Presbytery meeting in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was behind enemy lines. So you had a Southern Presbyterian church and a Northern Presbyterian church. You had different Methodist churches. Everybody in the 60s wanted to unite. The problem is, is the liberal church had gotten very leftist at the time. We united, and then they ended up destroying the truth in the Southern churches. Yeah, reconciliation is a biblical principle, and it's very important. But you don't go so far that you destroy the values that God has given us in his word. So this is, this is the, the negative here. We are not to be conformed to this world. We should fear that while speaking the truth in love. And sometimes, frankly, we forget the in love part, right? Now, there's a positive, there's a positive requirement here as well. We are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and this is important because it gives you the center of where God is going to work the transforming sanctification process in your life. It's through your mind, okay? Uh, it, it, so again, if you go out and you start making a, a list of do's and don'ts that you need to work on, like it's some kind of diet you found on the internet somewhere, you're just going to end up failing. What you've got to do is you've got to refocus your mind, rethink things, and towards the direction of God. He needs to become your your number one affection. This is a special, a lot of you struggle with depression and anxiety. And if you struggle with depression and anxiety, you know that, that cycle of negative things, that just that self-pitying, that destructive behavior, I can't do this, I can't focus on this, well, there I go again, and I've just failed again. You know how that, if you will trans, be, tra- allow your mind to be transformed, you get off that cycle by going up, by thinking towards God, recognizing that God made you, and you were fearfully and wonderfully made, including some of the crazy stuff you inherited from your parents, including the fact that you're not as attractive as you wish you could be. You know, all these different things that you focus on when you're down and discouraged. That's one reason why I think he's saying transform. You've got to break that cycle of, of repeated thinking here. This idea of being transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis. You're a caterpillar who's been turned into a butterfly. It's the same word when it talks about the transformation of Jesus Christ, where Jesus in his human form came down and Moses and Elijah came down and he was so bright to look at that it terrified the the three apostles that are with him. That's actually happening and has happened to you. You just can't see it right now. I think the angels can. I think the demons probably can. There's a fundamental transformation of character and conduct according to Stott here. And this happens through the renewing of your mind. Uh, Ephesians 4.23, and you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life (coughs) is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members, here he goes again, talking about your body. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. (coughs) You're tempted with pornography. You just need to tell yourself, I am dead to that. I am dead to that. I do not have to cave into that. It includes an evil desire. And then you will want you, and then you will walk. I'm sorry. For the mouths of these things, the wrath of God will come. And then in them you once walked 
when you were living in them, but now also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And this includes attitudes. You know, I'm, I am shocked at the bitterness of so many so-called Christians. Bitterness. These people, they don't sleep around. They don't get drunk. They pay their taxes. They, they put their Herbie Kirby back under their garage every single Tuesday morning. You know, they keep the laws. They, they, uh, they, they deworm their cat every year. You know, you fill in the blank, right? But they're bitter. Bitter. There is no room for bitterness in someone who's been transformed. None. Bitterness defiles many. You want to kill this church? You want to make sure we don't have another 15 years? You just keep up. You just, one of you, one of you, with an unforgiving heart, with a bitter spirit, is enough to destroy everything. What's interesting is, is these verbs. It's not like, I'm not giving you like, a, you know, you just need to, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps here. These verbs, both verbs, do not be conformed and be transformed are present passive imperatives. Present passive imperatives. And all of you are thinking, oh, wow. We, got, we love a present passive imperative, don't we? <laughs> Let me help you out here. Present, it implies continual action. So you must be continually not conforming and being transformed, okay? You're always on the altar. Passive means it's something uh, that we allow to be done to us. Who is helping you or doing the non-conforming and the transforming in you? It's the Holy Spirit. It's passive, actually. And then imperative means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. This isn't 10 ways to a healthier Christian life. It is the Christian life. So it's one of those amazing balances is two sides of the same coin is god going to do this in your life absolutely and does he command you to do it yourself absolutely which one is it absolutely it's both but he's he's probably not going to be doing much of in your life if you're not putting in the effort on your help your life it's sanctification there's a cooperative agreement there between you uh, and the holy spirit So what's the reason? The result here, very briefly, so that you may prove the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's a so that there, there's a result here. Uh, So this is what happens when you do those things that you can prove what the will of God is. That means to, to test or prove. Don't you ask sometimes, what God, what is your will? What is the will of God? And very often through his providence, he's going to show you that will, but he's not going to open up the clouds and just tell you what it is. But I don't think you're going to see it if you're not being transformed and if you're conforming to the world. You're going to be blind to it. You're going to be blind to it. When I'm counseling a young couple and they're trying to decide whether or not they're in love with each other, one of the things I tell them is then you need to be obedient in terms of physical intimacy. Because God speaks to us when he speaks to us through his word and through whispers. He doesn't shout. And you're not going to hear the whisper if you're compromising all the time. You know, it's like, a, I think about the, your mother. You do this probably too. Your, your baby wants milk. Your child wants milk. And you go over and you open up the, uh, the milk in the refrigerator to pour out a big old glass. Does anybody even drink milk anymore? They <laughs> pour out a bunch of milk for the child. What's the first thing the mother or the dad will do before they serve the milk to the child? Open it and 
smell it, right? You smell it to make sure it's not spoiled before you serve it to your child, right? A Christian can smell the world, the sins of the world. You can almost feel it sometimes. And the Christian can smell righteousness sometimes. It's it's sort of like back in my days of playing the bagpipe. I know that's a tearing fine thought for some of you, but uh, any instrument, any of y'all who've played an instrument, you, you try to develop muscle memory, right? Muscle memory after a time where you hardly have to think about it. You can just play Amazing Grace, you know, which is good because you're about to pass out anyway. Uh, and you just play, you just get muscle memory. You know, probably if I hadn't played a bagpipe in 15 years, 20 years, I could probably, no, I couldn't. But anyway, you know, but you get muscle memory. You know, the Christian develops holy muscle memory. You train yourself in not conforming but being transformed and you develop holy muscle memory. So you don't struggle with, do I do this or do I not do this after a while? And you're attracted to other people who have holy muscle memory. And you find that the things you struggled with before, you don't struggle with now. Now a whole set of new things come up, right? But this is really what we're trying to do. And what is this will of God? What does it look like? You know, we live in such a filthy, dirty world now. It's so wonderful to hear these words that, that define the will of God. Good and acceptable and perfect. It's good that it's pleasing to God and acceptable to holy people. Uh, it's uh, acceptable in, in that uh, the knowledge and behavior is according to God's word. He's already approved it. And it's perfect in that it's complete. It's complete. Y'all, this is what we want to do as individuals and as a church so that we can be together 15 years from now and, 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 and celebrate the 30th anniversary about that. If, you know, if we're not at war with the machines by that time. But uh, you know, we want to be able to do that. How are we going to be able to do that? Well, that's, that's just two verses here, but some of the most important verses in the entire scriptures here. So many people start off trying to plant a church. And good people. And they don't make it. God has blessed us profoundly. By allowing us to be able to celebrate this 15th anniversary. But if we take it for granted. And if we, and we start letting our guard down. We will fail. I talked about the, the difference between Jamestown and, and Plymouth. Plymouth founded for God in a sense. Jamestown founded for man. Make money or start a place where people be able to worship and evangelize. Well it's interesting what happened. Jamestown colonists returned, some of them early on returned on the Susan Constance and the ship's hull was filled with a mineral that they knew they were going to make them rich. And they filled the hull of the Susan Constance. They went back to England, two month voyage, talking about how they're going to spend all the money they're going to make and all the gold they found. And they got to, uh, to, uh, to England. They started to unload the cargo. They brought in a mineralogist and they said, this is just pyrite. Fool's gold. There wasn't an ounce of value in it. They spent two months. They spent months digging up pyrite. Two months in the voyage. And, the, and it, it, all they brought back to England was dirt. Dirt. They were all about man's desires, not God's desires. Whereas today, on Thanksgiving, we still celebrate what the pilgrims did. Folks, that's the, what we want to do. We want to have a church that doesn't present fool's gold, who doesn't test the will of God before we actually try to deliver it. But we want to be a church that is there because the world is crying out, come and help us. Come and help us. 
May the Lord give us many more decades of being transformed and not being conformed. Father, we do pray for you, that you'd give us the strength, God. We're, we're just, uh, we get all worked up on Sunday and we get motivated and we look at your word and we remember you and we think, how could we ever fail? And we, we were, we're almost guaranteed to fail tomorrow, if not tonight. But I pray, God, we just remember your holiness, your mercies, your overwhelming grace towards us, God, and let that just give us such a gratitude that we would be able to point out truth from error, that we would expose the darkness with life, light, and that we would show the world a true love without compromising your will. We need you, God. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to this church, and I pray that for generations to come, for many more blessings to come as we seek to bless you. In Christ's name, amen.